cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and none could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, welcome everybody to episode number 180 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, April the 8th, 2023, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank Danny Black for joining the show two weeks ago. Last week, there were no shows as I was off at the Mint Collective in Las Vegas. Tomorrow, tomorrow on the channel, Sunday, 9.30 Eastern, the PWCC Weekly Hockey Auction Coverage with my co-host for that show, Josh Madigan. And I also want to let everybody know, next Saturday will be the three-year anniversary of Sports Cards Live. I am planning a great night with a bunch of guests popping through and lots of giveaways. Some mind-blowing items already have been committed. So really excited about that. All right, sponsors, guys, please join over 300,000 people who have already downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps and card management features. Their app is the fastest and most accurate at card shows or at home to help you price your cards. Build, organize, and share your collection with your friends and find other collectors to follow using the new social sharing features. They have some exciting new partnerships coming soon. Please stay tuned and join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation they are undertaking at Center Stage, the Center Stage app. Check it out on the ticker right now. Also, Use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to a million dollars in value is fully insured under their guarantee. In order to use Veriswap, upload your inventory, make partial trade, trade full cash offers and negotiate with thousands of other traders already on their platform. Check them out also on iOS and Android. And as part of a special offer, your first trade on Veriswap is only $1. There's a, a referral link in this video description for your convenience. Also want to let everybody know, back on April 1st, HobbyNewsDaily.com was launched for your daily dose of hobby news and entertaining content. It's a collaboration of various content creators, original writers, and again, just launched on the 1st of April. Also, shout out Leighton Sheldon, Just Collect. He'll be joining us for the Vintage Spotlight shortly tonight and sport card expo guys you should know that is my favorite time of the year sport card expo is coming up around the corner april 20th to 23rd i cannot wait to see so many of you of you fellow hobbyists at that show don't forget about the dinner i am hosting at the jack astors it's five minutes from the show thursday night at eight o'clock that is eastern time the time zone that we will be in as always, everyone, thank you for your loyal subscribership, viewing, listening, all that. If you're not yet subscribed or uh, favorited on, on Spotify, please go ahead and do so. But let's get to tonight's show and our guest. He started in the hobby when he was six years old when his aunt gifted him her vintage football and baseball cards. He continued collecting and going to hobby shops in the Memphis area, getting cards from his parents for getting good grades in school. I think a few of us have that experience. During high school, he worked in a retail sports store that also had some cards, and he used all of his paychecks to buy those cards. He slowed down in 2003, got back in 2019 as he was collecting sports memorabilia, and his wife 
wanted her house back, so he switched to cards because, well, they are smaller. It was something he could also do with his six-year-old son, and he had discovered that his LeBron rookie had greatly appreciated in value. He's been an avid collector ever since. His favorite teams are the Arkansas Razorbacks, the New Orleans Saints, and his favorite athletes are Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Darren McFadden. He's originally from Germantown, Tennessee, currently hailing from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Let's bring him out, Drake Magruder. Welcome to Sports Cards Live, and how are you tonight? Jeremy, I'm fantastic. Thank you for the awesome intro. I'm uh, very blessed and excited to be on this show, and congratulations on three years. Um, you know, this is kind of one of those shows when I came back to the hobby, I, I soon learned about the show, and I've and I've watched, you know, for most of all of those three years, and I'm, uh, I'm very honored with all the guests you've had on, and I'm honored to be on the show, so thank you. Oh, I appreciate I appreciate that, Drake. It's uh, yeah, it, it's crazy to think that it's been three years. The time has gone by so fast, but I appreciate those kind words, and it is great to have you on. This is episode 180, which is a nice round number, and uh, don't know what it means, but it's episode 180, and you you have that title now going forward. So I'm glad you're here. We actually, you and I, we just came off hanging out together in Vegas last week, and the Mint Collective. You were there, and um, I remember, uh, you know seeing you a bunch but the one one of the the evening events uh, that the I think it was called the Ling Ling Lounge at the Hakkasan which is a a nightclub in the MGM the the resort or the the facility that the show was at we got to hang out there have some hors d'oeuvres have a couple of drinks it was a good time uh the the whole weekend was a lot of fun there was a lot going on and I thought we'd start off by just kind of debriefing the Mint Collective and talking about our experience there anyone who's who's with us right now uh if you were there great you'd you'd probably understand a lot of what we're talking about if you weren't there maybe we can shed a little bit of light into our experience but we're not going to spend the whole episode talking about the mint but it was definitely uh it was it was definitely a great experience i, I know i know i had a great time uh it, it was just awesome how about you overall did you have did you just have a great time at the mint Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a blast. It was a, a show. I guess we can call it a show, right? Really, you know, uh, it's kind of the first of its kind that I've been around, right? A great mix of of learning and educational opportunities mixed in with the card show piece, mixed in with the social opportunities like you talked about. I mean, it was everything all in one. And then when you put it in a setting like like, like Las Vegas, it's uh, it's hard to go wrong. So it was a blast. I loved it. So I received the survey from them yesterday, or I filled it out yesterday, I believe, asking, you know, all, all the questions you would want uh, an event organizer to ask you. And, um, you know, one of the questions was with respect to the card show itself, where there are not enough vendors, too many vendors. Let's let's for people who weren't there, let's shed a little bit of, of light on what the card show component of the Mint Collective was. Uh, under the context, and it's important to understand for everybody who wasn't there or maybe doesn't understand what the Mint Collective is. I, I feel like there's a bit of a narrative out there where some people feel like it's it's not for everybody because it's for it's for people who work in the industry or people who are looking to and all that. But I mean, if you are, and, and you, Drake, you don't work in the industry. I don't want to say you're just a, but you're you're just a collector, you're, right? And, and that, not Correct. to minimize your collecting, but you went as a collector. You didn't go as somebody who's with a company in the industry. You didn't go as somebody who's, a content creator. You didn't go as somebody who's looking to get your way into the industry as far as employment goes. How was it? Can you can you let fellow collectors out there know? Like, is this an event that you recommend that they go to? And and uh, how did you how did you kind of feel about it from from your perspective? 
Yeah. So I'll say the one thing for me with that is, is I love just being educated and being around the community and being able to meet the people behind the products, right. That you hear all about. And so it's great to have those candid conversations um, that you really don't get to have sometimes at just at a card show, or if you're talking to someone on social media. And I think, and I think the event like that provided those types of opportunities that you may not get at just a typical card show, which I thought was really nice. Um, and then you get to go into kind of those smaller group workshops and you're getting the one-on-ones and you have the chance to ask those burning questions that you've always had of, you know, folks that lead product development, like for Panini and tops. And I think, it was neat to be able to give feedback to those folks of like, hey, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, just, just strictly speaking from a collector's point of view, which I thought was really neat. And then when you go into the marketplace aspect of it, um, wh- wh- one of the comments I made to somebody on um, Friday night, which was for the folks who had the Mint experience, kind of the VIP package, you could go into the card show, um, and I think it was from like 6 to 9 p.m., and that was kind of the preview. And that was the first show that I had been in where when you walk in, they basically had like an open bar and there was food and there was music playing. You know, it wasn't too loud. It wasn't too low. And it was just a great vibe to have that card show, because sometimes when you go into the show, like just thinking of the national, right, you kind of get that hum noise in the background of people looking at cards and you kind of hear the same conversations over and over and over again. And this was really different. It was a lot of just people just hanging out, talking cards. It was kind of less about the deals at that point. It was more just seeing what was out there, seeing who was there, looking at all the the stuff that the companies who were there had. And and that to me, I think was really neat and unique that you don't really see it at shows, you know, um, really across the country. Yeah, I think I think there were a lot of people wonder what are you what are you paying? And I forget if the Mint Experience ticket was four hundred ninety nine dollars or five hundred ninety nine dollars. Five ninety nine. Five ninety nine. And people are wondering why would I pay five ninety nine to go to a card show? Well, that's not what the case was for it because you could get into the marketplace on Saturday or Sunday. I think for twenty five dollars, mm-hmm. the five ninety nine bought you. You know, in addition to the to full marketplace slash card show access it also got you the full friday of of those panels and workshops where you could ask questions and get some insights now not to say that you're that that information isn't going to leak very quickly which it did there were people sitting there recording those and i think live streaming them i don't know how mint organizers felt about that but i know that that was happening but the other thing that you do get are you get like access to these events which you got fed and you got fed pretty nicely i'm not saying that that three meals is worth six hundred dollars but it's worth a couple hundred probably considering it was sort of all you can eat and there was open bars two of the nights so you know there there was value there for people who did purchase the mint the complete experience uh ticket and but overall you know yeah jump in was just going to say that's so true. I, I, I joked with a number of people, you know, I got in late Wednesday night and I woke up Thursday morning and I was just going to grab some breakfast. And when I saw that an omelet was like $35, I was like, I'll just eat a granola bar I brought with me. And so um, that was one thing that, you know, having that package, um, it, it really brought a lot to the table because, you know, you were fed on, on Thursday night and you were fed on Friday night and you had drinks and, and snacks and so on and so forth. And, and that to me, I think made it all worth it because as we, as we both know, and I'm sure everyone watching uh, Vegas is not cheap when it comes to uh, food and drink options. So speaking about the mint and the card show, did you pick up any cards for your collection? And before you answer that, Drake, I forgot to mention this to you even at the show, but you collect Peyton Manning. I think he's your biggest PC, that your, your number one focus. 
there was one table there and I met the I met the gentleman and his wife uh, having breakfast the morning on Saturday just ha- in the Avenue Cafe at MGM. I uh, just happened to meet them and, and even have breakfast with them. And his whole his whole collection is Peyton Manning and all the one of ones. You must have seen that booth. I did see the booth. I think he, uh, from what I remember, um, I think he had more of an Eli Manning and a Philip Rivers focus. He did have some oh. one of one Peyton Mannings. Was yeah, it they, Eli? It, yes, it yes, it, oh, yes, okay, sorry. yes, yes, it was. But, but I mean, with that being said, he did still have some nice Peytons. He did have a one of one. Um, it was a, it was a rookie card. I forget the brand it was, but it was a one of one with an auto on it. And I believe that's his only one of one auto that's a rookie card, um, which was kind of cool to see. So, yeah, it was yeah neat. He, he pointed that out to me when I went by his table a little later. Were you able to pick up any cards there for your for your collection? So I did. And I actually have it with me um, and I'll show you what it is real quick. So um, I'm a huge sucker for dual autographs. Um, and like most, I'm, you know, 90s, 2000s. I love exquisite. And so. Um, this is from, I believe, 2009 Exquisite Collection. It's a dual auto of uh, Peyton and Roger Staubach, um, BGS 9.5, uh, with an auto 10. And I, you know, um, living in Arkansas, I just love, um, you know, getting the dual autos of the Hall of Famers. And I didn't have a Staubach auto in my collection. And and that's kind of one one area where my collection has evolved lately, even, is I, I'm starting to look at, you know, I've got a ton of autos of Manning, Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and somewhere there together. But I'm like, you know, there's other people that I enjoyed, you know, watching or learning about or, you know, that are important to the history of the game that I think are just really neat to have on the same card. And so... That was my one pickup for the mint. And I actually did pick up a card from, for a buddy of mine, the, uh, what is it? The 1990 score, Bo Jackson, where he's, you know, kind of the, like the iconic photo where he's flexing and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty neat to be able to bring that to a, uh, to friend, uh, back home who had been looking for one. So, yeah, that's a cool, what about one. you? What about oh, yeah. you? So that, that Bo Jackson, that's a black and white card. And the back of the card says Bo, Bo. Like, yes. takes up the whole back of the card. B O Bo. Yes. Yeah. I, I managed to pick up uh, this many cards. Uh, the first one was uh, the the Blake Grice auto from Allen and Ginter, the Blake down, who's a friend of mine's son, who's making a name for himself. I think he's about, he's young. He's like nine or 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's 11 by now. Maybe he's even a bit older. I'm not sure. Uh, I bought it. I bought two cards from Luke the Cardist because he had, oh, uh, he had his, his work on display. And I bought the only two hockey cards he had there. I bought a, this Wayne Gretzky on top here, which is, this is a 1982 Opeachy card. It's a it's like a team leaders card. Like look look at the back. It's got that it's like got that total vintage back look to it. Uh, even though he signs it, but uh, really neat with the the oil drop kind of making its way through the card. And then this is the uh, an Austin Matthews upper deck base card, also well not from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I thought that'd be pretty cool. I'll take that to the expo with me uh, in two two or three weeks and. Just, you know, show it off a little bit. Pretty, pretty cool card. I like, I really like Luke's work. So I wanted to support him and I picked up a couple of his cards. And then um, four more cards. That's it. I'll start off with my new 1967 Mick Jagger. Love it. <laughs> this goes good with a few other Mick Jaggers I have. I didn't have this one. It's a, it's in a PSA 7 holder and I got it for a scorching $45. So I was uh, pretty happy to, and it's just a, and it's got so much gloss on it. It's such a such a cool looking card. And then uh, three more cards. This one I picked up from Kyle, who goes by King of Cards on Instagram. He does a lot of great content. And he had purchased this at the Beckett Industry Summit card show. 
and he bought it. So I saw it at the guy's table. And then I walked around. I went back to the guy's table and the card was gone. And I said, oh, you sold that Barry Sanders, huh? And he goes, yeah, I sold it to that guy over there. Oh, Kyle. So I go up to Kyle. I go, you bought that Barry Sanders? I go, you got it just before I was going to. He goes, oh, you can you can have it. I'll give it to you for what I paid. I'm like, okay, well, sounds good. And then for whatever, I didn't have the cash on me at the time, so we couldn't get it done. And then I did. We were he was going to give it to me at the Burbank show a few weeks ago. Didn't happen. Finally, we got it done at the Mint Collective. So I got this. It's a pretty cool. It's an acetate card. Yeah, I've it's, seen uh, those. They're, they're really nice. They're the really bright nice. lights, right? Yeah. Uh, bright lights. Yeah. And I just looked up like this in the in this gem mint PSA holder. Population's only like twenty one, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, card isn't priced like a car like a pop twenty one PSA ten for a guy like Barry Sanders. So. I was happy to, to finally get that. And then I made a big trade uh, with Josh, Dons, Josh Dawson, Northeast Sports Cards. I put it on my Instagram, but um, I traded for two really, uh, you know, grail-like sort of Shaquille O'Neal cards. So the, the the first one and the big one, the bigger of the two, is this uh, Essential Credentials, the future version. And, you know, like if this was Michael Jordan, this would be, you know, a down, <laughs> a down payment on like a very nice house. Sure. But it's Shaquille O'Neal, so you get it at about you know what five ten percent of the value. So I traded for that one, and then and then also this Ultra Stars Gold, which is a very pretty card. Yes, yes. and uh, I traded away two Michael Jordan '90s inserts to get two Shaquille O'Neal. Some people might say that's backwards, but you know what? These are beautiful cards. They're rare, and I just like them a, a lot more than I like those other two cards. So love it. I made I made that trade. Now, here's something I didn't get at the Mint, Drake, but I want to show you anyway, because you're also a wrestling guy. I am. I am. A, Ricky the Dragon. the Dragon Steamboat, autographed 8x10. The reason I'm showing you this is just in case any of your fellow wrestling friends joined the show today, uh, I'm going to be giving... Actually, let's give this away tonight. We don't need to wait till next Saturday. Why don't we give this away tonight? Let's to do somebody it. Somebody who is... Hopefully, we have some wrestling fans with us. Now, I should have said I was going to do this. We would have brought more people up, but that's okay. Those people who are here, if anyone is interested in winning this uh, this Ricky the Dragon Steamboat 8x10, you're going to have the opportunity to win this tonight. So we'll get to that a little bit a little bit later. But yeah, those were my pickups at the Mint Collective, Drake. It's nice to come away with something that you really like. You know, you came away with one great card. I came away with, well, four you know, kind of standard type cards and then a couple of more homemade cards being the two from Luke the Cardis and, of course, this Blake Grice, the Blake Down autographed Allen and Ginter card. But isn't it nice just to to go, to to come away with something that you love, even though you may not be expecting to or that's not like a condition of going? Because the Mint Collective, I believe for you and for me, like if you, if you wouldn't have come away with any card for your PC, would you still have enjoyed and valued your experience? Oh, for sure. For sure. And and it's one of those things I think where people sometimes put pressure on themselves by going to a show, whatever show it is, whether it's meant or just, you know, just a card show and they feel like they have to get something. And I think sometimes that could put you in a situation where maybe you pick up something that you don't really love as much as you thought it would. And so it's great just to be able to go and, you know, and if you find something good, if you don't, that's fine too. But, um, you know, it's one of those that, that things with, with the card that I got, um, that was one I had never seen before. Um, and I think when I looked, you know, it's, it's some sales sites, the last one that sold publicly was like four years ago. And that to me, and we'll, we'll get into this more that to me as a collector gets me really excited when you find stuff like that, because I love the hunt. I love the chase for, for things like that, but no, it's, uh, it's not an, an absolute that you have to pick up a car, but 
when uh, when I went to the preview show that Friday night and I and I was talking to the dealer about it. Um, his uh, his name is Grand Slam Sports Cards, and um, that night I was laying in bed and you know I woke up the next morning and I was still thinking about it. I was like, I got to figure out a way to get this thing done, and so that to me is fun. Yeah, for sure. And, and these two that I got from Josh Dawson, he posted them uh, or he shared them in a in a chat that I'm in with him. He said, you know, anyone's interested, let me know. I said, bring them to Mint for me, especially the, the essential credentials and um, or the essential credentials. And so we made the deal there. But, you know, it was still that was that's my that's going to be the the kind of the card that represents this event for me as far as, you know, coming away with something. For my collection, Matt Pearson loves the Shaq credentials. Thanks, Matt Pearson and or Matt Person, and welcome to the show. Uh, let's see who we have. Michael Stone wants to know: Do I follow college hockey? I do not. Michael Stone follow college hockey. I do like to see who wins the Hobie Baker. I believe it was Fantilli won it. I just heard so uh, the projected number two draft pick this summer. But no, I don't follow it at all. Michael, the card locker. Welcome to the show. First time watching live. I love when I see that. Well, great to have you. And uh, hopefully you can watch live more and more. Lines Collectibles says, I'm buying everything. Well, that's a nice position to be in. Fowl Fieball, hello, Jeremy. And your name is also Jeremy. So hello to you as well. Collector's Dream, good to see you. Chad Shipper was at the Mint. Good to see you, Chad. Jeff Hart says, great to see you, Jeremy. And to meet you, Drake, at the Mint. Good to see you, as always. Jeff Hart. Chad says, uh, Drake, that you were 100% spot on on your description of the Mint Collective. So that's good to hear. And Chad would know he was there. Al G in the house. Good to see you, Al. Joe Perot is here with us. What's up? Nice to meet you, Drake. What's up, everybody? And happy Saturday night. Bobby Burrell is here. He says, I. Good to see you, Bobby. Uh, Ronnie in the house and Rob Sonier says, I don't do wrestling, but we'll take that credentials shack. No, you won't Rob. It is not up for grabs. That is staying with me for quite some time now. Good evening, Bobby. Good to see you. So Drake, let's just jump in. And, you know, I mentioned your history, uh, during the intro, but why don't you just kind of take us through and put add a bit more color to kind of how you first got into the hobby and your journey through till now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, um, and thank you once again for that, but uh, around when I was six years old, I remember my aunt, um, she gifted me some cards. Um, and actually I brought those with, I brought a few with me. I still, I still have them. So I want to share some of them um, before I get into it. So this is a little Brooks Robinson photo with a signature on it. Um, and it was a mix of baseball and football. So here's uh, Floyd Little and Larry Zonka. Um, you know, nothing, nothing crazy here. Yastrzemski. Um, 72. Yep. And there's a Lou Brock. Um, same thing. Uh, Catfish Hunter. Uh, a couple more. Marty Schottenheimer. Nice. And then a Willie Mays right here. So I've still, I've, it's kind of cool. I kept them in the exact same way that she gave them to me and they've traveled along with me to, to college and that, you know, that sort of thing. So, but yeah, but she was the first one who, who, uh, who gave me those cards and I was like, well, this is kind of cool. And you know, back then you could go to about anywhere and this was the late, late eighties, early nineties and anywhere had, had cards. And so I was just able to, to see cards there. And then, as you mentioned, whenever I'd get a good grade or for birthday or something like that, you know, at birthday parties, my friends were buying me packs of cards or boxes of cards. And 
so on and so forth. And so Christmas presents and that. And so we're just able to get cards and, you know, just like most kids, you you trade them with your friends and uh, you make deals and you try to pick up guys, your favorite team or ones whose name you like, or something's cool is written on the back of the card about them. And so went through that kind of the early nineties, mid nineties. And um, when I was a freshman in high school, I got a kind of my first real job and I was working at a, a sports store and it was actually called Fanatics, not Fanatics like we know today, but Fanatics was what it was back then. And it was like a retail sports store and he um, had, you know, clothing and apparel and that kind of stuff, but he also had a card section and he had singles and, and wax and so on and so forth. And so every Saturday I worked there. And he would actually, um, I don't don't know if I should share this, but he paid me in cash every Saturday, um, which was kind of nice for a kid, right? You know, have to deal with taxes and all that kind of stuff at the time. I I just got to say, I think the statute of limitations has run out on that. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, good, good. good. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because I turned 40 a week from today. So yeah, I think we're good. (laughs) But yeah, so he, he would pay me in cash. Well, you know, I would save a little bit of the cash, but back then, you know, you could get a pack of cards for like a dollar or $2. And so I would put a lot of that money back into buying cards. So, you know, before I left or during the day, if it was kind of slow, I, he had a little uh, change box and I would, you know, use some of that money and I would open up a box or a pack or whatever it was and would take those cards and I'd have them. Right. And probably two of my most memorable pulls I got, he had some 92 stadium club and I pulled a Brett Favre rookie card um, that I still have today. And then I also in the um, a couple years later, I pulled a uh, Ricky Williams tops rookie card and it was signed by him. And uh, I remember pulling it out. My hand was shaking because at the time, Ricky Williams was like the biggest thing in football. Right. You know, and same thing with how people get excited about prospects today. And I remember flipping over that the back of the card and it said it was in like one. And I'll never forget this one in eighteen thousand three hundred and seventy two packs. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Right. And so, and so I kept that card. Um, and unfortunately, I don't still have it today. I did end up selling it a few years later. Um, just kind of one of those things. I, I think that was like my first eBay transaction <laughs> was, the, was the sale of that card. And that was sometime in the mid 2000s. So fast forward, graduate from high school. I went off to college. And of course, you know, when you're in college, um, we, we did have a, a card shop at the University of Arkansas. And I would buy cards here and there, but you know, like, like we all were, you go to college and there's other things on your mind, um, whether it's parties or girls or your studies or whatever the case may be. It, it wasn't really cards as much. And so I kind of stopped the whole collecting cards and buying cards and, and that sort of thing. Um, but then I do remember when I graduated my first job, I had always wanted a rookie auto of LeBron. And I remember going on eBay and trying to figure out, do I want the SPX patch auto or do I want his ultimate collection auto? Or do I want his um, his SP Authentic Auto? And I remember the SPX. I was like, I kind of like it. I'm not crazy about it. I love the SP Authentic, but the Ultimate Collection is one I'd really wanted. And that's the one out of 250. But it was too expensive for me at the time. You know, I was just fresh out of college and, and didn't have a lot of money. And so, and so I, I ended up buying the SP Authentic. And I think I paid somewhere around like $500. It was a BGS 9.5 with a 10 Auto. And that was a lot of money at the time. I'll tell you that. And uh, so I had that card and that was the only card I really bought. And then about fast forward about six years later, I'd always wanted a Michael Jordan 86 Fleer. And I remember local in Fort Smith going onto Craigslist and looking for somebody posting one. And I found a guy who 
um, had a BGS 8.5 and he brought it to me at work one day and we did, we did the transaction in the parking lot. I think it was like 700 bucks or something like that. It was, it was pretty cheap at the time. So had the Jordan had that. And then, you know, years go by and I would just snag a few packs of cards here and there, but nothing too crazy. I wasn't on eBay all the time. Um, and that, and I don't know, around 2017, I started getting more into like sports memorabilia and I was getting into jerseys and mini helmets and that whole sort of thing. I was really liking that kind of stuff. That's kind of what connected me to the game. And my cards were just kind of put away um, and all that. And I remember about the same time, my son kind of found my cards and was like, daddy, what are these? And I said, oh, well, that's LeBron James. And he's like, well, I know LeBron, right? Um, and so I said, well, let's go figure out what this thing's worth. And I looked on eBay, it sold listings and I was blown away. And same thing with the Michael Jordan, I was blown away too. And like you mentioned in the intro around that same time, my wife said, uh, Drake, these mini helmets and footballs and all this, I've still got a bunch behind me. You guys can see in the background, but we're taking up just a ton, a ton of room. You got to do something else. I thought, Hey, I love, I love sports. I love the hobby, all this. Let's, let's get back into cards. And so I kind of got back into cards and one of the first things I did is I kind of learned about breaks and I was like, so what's this whole breaking thing? And I, I learned about pristine auction um, and I saw that they were getting into breaks and they were doing one. It was called like leaf pearl multi-sport. And I looked at the checklist and I saw that you could get autographs of Hulk Hogan and other things like that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And it was like $150 a spot and they broke it. I didn't even really know what breaking was, but they pulled my card. And anyway, anyways, it was this, it's a, uh, it's a George Foreman pearl card. Um, it's got a real pearl in it and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, it's like a $30, $40 card. And I thought, well, that seems kind of dumb. Why would I want to spend $150 and only get $30 or $40 back? And so that was my kind of first foray into breaking. Um, and then from there, I was listening kind of like a lot of people. And this was like late 2019. I was listening to a lot of people and it was like, you know, go buy this and go buy that and go buy, you know, buy Luca and buy Acuna and buy Tatis and buy, you know, we got this guy Zion coming and Ja Morant and all this. And I was kind of following that herd a little bit because the reason for that is I was buying a card. And by the time it got to me, it was worth more. And that seemed kind of fun. You know, I still had my Peyton Manning stuff back from the late nineties that I had and all that, but it was more exciting to be buying the stuff that people were talking about. And then one day I was just kind of like, I looked at all the cards I had and I'm like, you know, I've got all these cards and a lot of them are really nice. And I don't really know, like, like, why do I have Jason Tatum? Why do I have Zion Williamson cards? Why do I have Josh Allen cards? Why do I have Ronald Acuna? They're all great players. And I know that they have some great collectors and fan bases, but they're not for me. And I thought, who do I really have an attachment to? And that was to Peyton Manning and that was to Drew Brees. And so um, I got in and I've been going heavy on those two guys really ever since. And then probably mid 2020, um, I heard David Peck mention about uh, wrestling cards. Growing up in Memphis, I had no exposure to wrestling cards. The hobby shops that were there didn't have wrestling cards. And so I started learning and I was talking to David and some other folks in the hobby and just wanting to learn more about wrestling cards. And I got into that. And then I learned there were modern wrestling cards that were shiny and had gold refractors and so on and so forth. And so just been really kind of head down in the whole Peyton Manning, Drew Brees and wrestling cards. And that kind of takes us to where we are today. 
All right on. Well, great timing. Uh, Leighton has joined us in the back room. We'll, we'll bring you out in, a, in a, just a minute, Leighton, for Vintage Spotlight. I just want to mention something about, about Peyton Manning, Drake. So at the, what was it? It, it was the the Friday night event. Was the was it the Collector's Carnival? Is that what they called it? Or was the, the night before? Was that, was founders, thir- that was the Founders um, the, Thursday night. Yep. The Thursday night Founders party. There was this thing they were calling the mint cast based off of Peyton Manning's uh Manning cast and he was he was he was in via uh Zoom or or what what have you and Michael Rubin from Fanatics was in via Zoom and the host was was Kay Adams who uh does the Up and Adams uh show on the NFL network I believe and uh she was she was running behind her flight was delayed out of Los Angeles she was sitting on the tarmac and the organizers of the mint came to me and said, hey, would you mind being the backup to host the Manning, the Peyton Manning, uh, Michael Rubin event because Kay Adams might not make it in time? I thought, sure. I mean, great opportunity. And what, a, what, a, what, how flattering that you're asking me to do it. So I kind of, they give me the briefing. I prepare for it for like an, a good hour. And, uh, and then the time comes. So they mic me up and I go up on stage and I welcome everybody to the Mint Collective and uh, but they they were very they were very clear to me. Stick to the script. So I follow. I'm good at following directions. I stuck to the script. Peyton Manning comes on the screen, and I start talking to Peyton Manning, and I'm re- I'm basically reading right off a page. But I'm reading what they wanted me to say, and then and then so here I am talking to your guy Peyton Manning. But what happens? He starts speaking, and there was an audio, a technical issue. We couldn't hear him. So, so what do I do? I've got, there's 300 people in front of me. Sure. I got Peyton Manning here. We got Michael Rubin waiting to come onto the screen. And I can't hear what Peyton Manning is saying. Thankfully, the, the producers figured it out. And they're sending me messages on the teleprompter, which I'd never worked with before. And uh, so what ends up happening is for, they, they basically delay it for about 10 minutes. And during that 10 minutes, they figure out the audio issues. And then Kay Adams comes running from the airport to the MGM and into the room, comes on stage. And at that point, I was told, if Kay gets here, you'll just co-host it. I thought, well, great. That's pretty cool. I can ask a question. She'll ask a question. She got there, Drake, and no one told her who I was or what I was doing on the stage. (laughs) So she comes in. I pass her the cue cards. And she starts talking and doesn't give me a second to say anything. I'm just sitting there on stage kind of twiddling my thumbs thinking what do I do now and I'm trying to look at the guy who's organizing them like I go like this to him like should I walk off the stage like what should I do finally I just as everyone was looking over at the other monitor where Michael Rubin and Peyton Manning were I just kind of slid off the stage and went and sat down in the crowd and got out of there but funny story I got to talk to Peyton Manning who you know he means something to you and for the record my very first ever football fantasy draft he was my first pick overall in 2003 so I had a bit of a connection. I didn't get to tell him that because I was forced to stick to the script. But had I had the chance, I might have, I might have told them that. Were you yeah, there? that was great. Yeah, yes, I was. And so, it, it, just as you're speaking through this, I'm I'm reliving it in my head because I was standing there, I was watching the whole thing kind of unfold or whatever. So it's great to hear things from your perspective because it did have to be a little bit challenging with like the technical issues that that went on. And then I remember things pausing and, and I remember seeing you sit up there and I was like, oh, poor Jeremy. He's he looks he looks lost a little bit. <laughs> I was I didn't I didn't know what to do. And then but the nice thing was that after it was over, Kay Adams came up to me and she said, 
because there was also a breaker on stage mm-hmm. from the bullpen who was opening up a, a box of 98 tops chrome where you could find Peyton's rookie or maybe it was regular tops. And uh, so she knew from the brief that there was going to be a breaker on stage. She thought I was the breaker, but she didn't know what a breaker was. And I certainly wasn't breaking any cards. So she came up after and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that we would have been co-hosting. But thank you for jumping in for me. And I said, no, no problem, Kay. Nice to meet you. And uh, anyway, that was uh, that was a pretty interesting and 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 experience, even though it kind of didn't work out. But at least, you know, the nice thing was they did tap me on the shoulder to to uh, be the backup. And I thought that was pretty cool. So that's great. Well, I mean, you did a great job. You looked like you knew what you were doing. And and if nothing else, that makes for a great story, uh, which is great. And, um, and, and, and so you mentioned Kay, one of the things that was neat is I had a chance to talk to her after the thing was done. And it was neat hearing her perspective because she's interested in the hobby and interested from like a collectible standpoint. And she was wanting to learn more and things like that. And so you hear and we talk a lot about like, oh, the hobby's still young and it's and it's in its infancy and things like that. And that goes to show you somebody who's like truly mainstream. I mean, she's got tons of Instagram followers and she's out there in the in the media and all that. Um, still has a lack of awareness, I'll say, and but has a desire to learn. And I think that's that's one of the things that and you know, just speaking back to the mint, I think that theme kept coming up over and over and over is how there's still so much opportunity, not just for business and things like that, but just for people to know that the hobby's out there and know that there's opportunities to get in at whatever level you want to get in. And, um, and I think that's really cool. And, and for the record, Kate did an amazing job hosting that panel, even though with me sitting right there for half of it, but she did a great job. Um, and uh, she is like, she, she, she got to freestyle. She didn't have to stick to the script. She did not stick to the script. Jeremy Lee was told to stick to the script. She didn't have to. I don't know. She didn't, but you know what? She's a, she's an absolute pro. And I just kind of sat there like, whoa, you're you're really good at what, what you are doing. Uh, very quickly, vintage card collector. Hello to you, Jeff Parker. First time watching. Love having you, Jeff. Hopefully it is not your last. Jeff McMahon, thank you very much. Good to see you. Mark Santucci in the house. What's going on? And Triple V sounds cool. I have I have some Monty Gum cards myself. Uh, nice to see you picked up the Lou Reed and Iggy Pop. Very good. Rage in the house. What's going on, Rage? Good to see you as well and as always. All right. Let's bring up onto the stage and quick hello to Sports Card 613. Let's bring Leighton Sheldon back. You're back. You're with us. How are you doing, Leighton? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. It's nice to meet you, Drake. Yeah, you too. Well, Leighton, you were also at the Mint Collective, and uh, you know, I did want to ask you. There were a couple things. First of all, it was great to see you. Nice to nice to see you in person. Although we've we've done that before two or three times. We actually first connected at last year's Mint Collective yeah. on a panel that I hosted, and you were on the stage with me, and uh, we had a great experience doing that. That's kind of led to our relationship now, which is uh, something that I, I, I'm very thankful for and grateful for. You're 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 a good guy, a good guy to be friends with, uh, but. Your experience at the Mint, what can you just share a little bit about about it for you? And also, you were there giving appraisals at the collectible booth on some vintage cards. So just let us know how that went. Did you see anything cool? And how was your experience at the Mint Collective overall? Sure. So, you know, it was great to be in Vegas. Um, I thought the quality of the event was fantastic. So the actual venue itself um, was really great, as well as the panels they put together. Uh, for a couple of days there, uh, and you had a really nice choice of panels. Um, you could, you know, go really deep in one direction or take a broad-based approach um, at 
potentially some different issues. So I thought that was awesome. There was just enough cards for sale there. So if you came there as a patron or as a dealer collector like ourselves here on today's show, um, there was enough of that taste, I think, there. Um, it was awesome that PSA was there. Um, you, you had a number, a number of other corporate entities like Collectible, um, you know, and some other really interesting outfits as well. Um, and then, you know, in terms of at least the appraisals that we did the Collectible booth, um, we teamed up with them. Um, and as much as we had, you know, high hopes, we had low expectations. Um, and so ultimately, most of what we saw was really modern, modern being, you know, 80s and beyond. So there's no true gem that walked in. Um, but we were very grateful for the experience and happened to be part of the event. Um, me personally, my favorite part was partaking in a number of the panels, meaning just being, you know, just listening. Because there's very few instances over the course of a year in our industry, hopefully more to come in the future, where you're going to have these B2B instances where you can hear others talk. Um, folks don't feel like they're missing something deal-wise on the floor of that particular event. Uh, and so I think that's a really nice feature um, of the Mint Collective in Vegas. Did you see the one table? This is for you too, Drake. Uh, there was one table in one of the one of the aisles where the the guy had four 1952 tops Mickey mantles, and uh, one of them was like a beautiful four, I think. Maybe it was a three and a half, and then the other ones were, you know, they had their typical off-centered issues and rounded corners, which I don't mind on a vintage card. Uh, did, did you see that? And is that something that you see at lots of shows or just like the national and the mint? Oh, sure. No, it was a great uh, quartet of cards. Um, but we all know that the 1952 Tops Mickey Mantle isn't that hard to find. Uh, it's just a lot of people want to own it. And so kudos to the Mint Collective to have a dealer with that kind of inventory. Um, I wouldn't say, though, it's only limited to the national. It's only limited to the Mint I believe that if you come out to the next Valley Forge slash um, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania mall show, or excuse me, uh, show that used to be at the casino that's near the mall, uh, the King of Prussia mall, you know, that, the Philly show is great. And you're definitely going to see a fair amount of 52 tops Mickey Mantles there. Um, and I'm not so sure about the other, let's say, big conventions across the country, but even just going to places like, um, you know, the White Plains show. I mean, I'll see Mantles there. So um, it was just nice to see what I thought the Mint did well. It was it gave you a, just enough of a taste. So it didn't try to pretend to be the national. That's not what it was trying to do. But yet, if you wanted to buy a really nice vintage card there, you could. Yeah. Um, and same thing with Bob. Yeah, there certainly were. There was a nice 33 Gaudi Lou Gehrig, a card that's on my hit list right now. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was in an SGC three and a half or four. I, I thought that was a pretty card. I didn't didn't pull the trigger on it, but uh, a very nice piece. Drake, what were Drake? Just speaking of vintage, and I want to bring you into this. What did you think of the mix between modern and vintage at the show? Was it what you're used to seeing at the national? Let's say, just from a, a like a you know, relative relatively speaking, or was it heavily one way or the other? Yeah, just kind of to Layton's point, I do think it was more heavily geared towards modern. I mean, I think there was some vintage in there. There were some nice pieces with the auction houses, and it was certainly sprinkled in. But I do know it um, at National, and, I, and you know, I've only been to the one in Chicago in 2021, uh, which is actually a place where we met, Jeremy. And um, I just remember seeing just walls and walls of vintage, and there was like sections of vintage and things like that. And, and here, there, you had your tables kind of spattered here and there, but a lot of it was definitely uh, geared more towards the modern side. Yeah. Leighton, same sort of thoughts for you in terms of uh, out on the floor? Uh, yes, uh, I would agree with that. 
I do think that um, what the Mint was able to do this year a little bit better than last year is they had a few auction houses. They had some really nice modern dealers. They had some vintage. They had a couple supply companies. There was a few technology companies. It really turned out to be a nice cross-section um, of, of the different businesses that you may you know encounter on your journey in our industry. Yeah, I spent most of my time during the marketplace at the tag grading booth, and we had we had a, a great experience and a great response from everybody who came by to check out what tag is up to. Uh, Drake, do you have a, a vintage question teed up? I did, and I got to let you know, I did ta- I did task you with coming up with a vintage related question for Layton. I don't know what it is yet. Either does Layton. So, what did you tee up, Drake? That's right, Jeremy. You actually gave me some homework. So, uh, so Layton, so I'm sure you're familiar from the vintage wrestling, like the 82 All-Stars, right? Oh, sure. Yep. So I've got a, I've got a flair. Um, here's my, here's my flair I've got here. Um, got a Jerry Lawler. I didn't grab him. I've got the OPG, Jeremy, which you'll appreciate the Hulk Hogan from 85. That's a, that's a nine. So, so my question for you, Layton is, um, Wrestling cards were not really graded, I guess. Like nobody really cared about them until like 2009, 2010. And so you have the sets like the 82 All-Stars and some of the older like 70 sets and things like that. Um, that really there's only been grading going on for the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And so one of my concerns as a buyer who's interested in some of those vintage wrestling cards is, you know, is there a possibility that I could buy something and not knowing exactly the supply, the grading population kind of goes up, right? So of course, the thing is you want to buy the best grade you can, but when you don't have a card that's say numbered like you do in the modern, um, it can be a little difficult to know just how much that supply is. So at what point maybe in other sports could I use or could folks use to compare to say, hey, right now, right now, if I buy this PSA 7 or PSA 8 or whatever, you feel comfortable that there's not going to be a huge supply increase, if that makes sense. No, it's a great question, uh, Drake. And if I hear it correctly, effectively, what you're saying is for wrestling collectors, but really this could apply to any collector in any, any sport, when you're going out and you're making a big purchase, and a big purchase obviously varies from collector to collector, and you're specifically going after that best of example, let's say it's a nine, let's say it's a 10, whatever the case is, especially you're talking about wrestling cards. It's interesting that you chose that because wrestling cards doesn't have the same kind of history that, for example, hockey or baseball cards have. So what I hear you asking is, hey, what kind of risk or how do I assess the risk of when I go out and I'm trying to buy, for example, a Hulk Hogan 82 All-Star or an 85 Tops Hogan, which theoretically still impacts a lot more easily than the 82 is, because the Tops wax is around. How do I, if you will, assess properly and protect or hedge myself against that risk of these higher examples coming out from the card I'm buying? Is that what you're asking, Drake? Yes, yes, exactly. Because like, you know, say with a 52 mantle, you know that there's probably not going to be another 10 that hits the pop report or a, or a nine even, right? But I think even with the Hulk Hogan, the 82 All-Stars, um, you know, there's never been a PSA 10. Um, and they're still out there. There's still ones that are still being graded today, right? There's very few PSA nines. I think there's, you know, 16 to 20 or something like that. And that number seems to grow over time. Yeah. So that's, that's really the, 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 the crux of my question. Yeah. Sure. So I think that the most effective way I can answer it in one sentence is that history should be your guide and your teacher. So if you've been collecting and I know this, and you probably know a lot more about the 1985 Tops Hogan than myself and the Opeachy, which you showed. I'm a fan of the Opeachy as well. 
You're right. The reality of it is there might be, and I know there's only a handful of Topps, Hogan's, and Tens. Mm -hmm. I think unless it's exploded. Right. Um, but the reality of it is if you immerse yourself in that cart, you start grading it raw, you start buying nice knives, you start to figure out in that journey, it's unlikely there's going to be a surplus of tens. Yep. You're right. There might be one here, one there. And we're going to talk about the 82 All-Star in a minute because I do think it's a little bit of a different animal because with the pop mm -hmm. of zero, of right. course, it's a little bit more risk-reward. Um, but I do believe, and I remember uh, this is when I had a PSA 8 Hank Aaron rookie a couple of years ago. How many Hank Aaron rookies do you think PSA is grading new, fresh, that are going to grade 8 and higher? And I know there's services now that, you know, you can keep track of that with. Um, but the point is that, Drake, you take, I think, the knowledge that you have and you trust yourself a little bit about understanding what's out there. Now, let's just address the 82 Hogan because I think that's a more interesting case. Mm -hmm. Because theoretically what you're saying is, hey, let's just say our friends at REA Heritage or Golden, right, three of the bigger auction houses, one of them somehow lands the white whale. The Hogan ends up in the pop report next week. It's a 10. And there's a lot of people that want to buy that card. Mm -hmm. um, that is a card that you can still do your homework on and you can try to extrapolate what you think it would be worth based on other key Hogan cards, other key sport cards, right, with a similar low population. However, after that first card is sold, it is then going to establish a baseline, whether it be too much or too little, only time will tell. But my point is, is there's very few instances like the 82 Hogan these days where you take a grail card that has a pop of zero and 10. That's when fireworks happen at auction. And mm -hmm. so I guess what I would advise you or anyone else who's watching, unless you have so much money, you don't know what to deal with or to do with. I would sit on the sidelines of the first time a Hogan 82 came out. And even if I had to be the buyer the next time it sold, there was never another one. I'd feel a lot better about understanding the base line of that price on a card, which has never been sold at auction. So I hope I answered it for you the best I can. Complicated question, uh, Drake. Great one at that. Yeah, sure, sure. It's just one of those things, and especially in wrestling cards, we see a lot of this whole vintage versus modern type thing. And, you know, and, and, and I think it probably transcends to other sports, right? And so, like, I'll, I'll show you another card I've got. So I've got this Hogan. It's a 2015 Chrome Gold. There's only 10. It's out of 10, right? And so this is a PSA 910. And it's like... So I know at the end of the day, there's only 10 copies that are out there. Yeah, there's maybe different grades and things like that. So I feel comfortable buying a card and putting my money into that. Now, if I go and you know buy a PSA 8, 82 Hogan or a PSA 9 or something like that, or somebody else, how can they be comfortable, especially on a, a call it like a fringe sport like wrestling? And there's other fringe sports out there too. Like how can they feel comfortable knowing that there's still a lot of supply out there that hasn't been graded? So yeah, that's good. Appreciate it. I got a couple of things to say on this. Um, so I love the discussion. So I'm going to start with talking about the population, Drake, and how, you know, I think, I think you know, the question that you were asking and, and uh, the way I was interpreting it, not different than Leighton, but just the, or where my mind went was, you know, how, what does the population curve look like? And not just populate, and I don't mean, you know, five, six, sevens, eight, nines, tens. I mean, submission volume over time. And I remember, I remember in the early 2000s, watching graded cards starting to not starting, but hitting the market more and more eBay becoming more of a thing. So we're seeing more and more of them. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, 
here's the first, and I'll use my guy, Dale Howardchuk from the 82 Opeachy Hockey set. I remember seeing the first BGS 9.5 and thinking to myself, wow, this person, they want $600 for this card. It's a, it's a $20 card, but it's a, it's the first and maybe the only ever BGS 9.5, right? So the, the pop, the population vol- submitting volume curve starts off very low. It's like a bell curve, right? Mm-hmm. It starts off very low. And then as, as grading picks up across the major sports or for wrestling, say later on down the time continuum, it goes up, 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 up. And then it starts coming down as the supply starts to dwindle. It comes down. And then what happens? Well, we get spikes in the hobby. So it goes back up a bit as, you know, more people come in pandemic. Of course, you, we saw a huge spike because more people were, were submitting their cards. So my experience when I think about you and the 82 Hall Kogan or the 85, these the wrestling cards from those years, I think where are we along those continuums or those bell curves? I think we're climbing. St- and listen, I don't know, but but my I'm thinking, are we climbing still to the point where it's going to get higher? It's going to keep on going in terms of like monthly submissions, and then it's going to come down as the as the supply starts to dwindle. Maybe there will be a spike later on. I'm not sure. So for you. Like Leighton spoke to, you know, when are you going to jump in and, and make a purchase? I think you also have to, based on pricing, you also have to consider how much, how many more, as Leighton talked about, you know, we're not going to see any more fresh Hank Aaron rookies, but are we going to see any more fresh Hulk Hogan's? I think the answer is yes, more so than 54 tops Hank Aaron mm-hmm. cards. So you, with your experience, and Leighton said this, let history be your teacher, you need to decide where are we on this bell curve? Are we still at the beginning? In which case, there's going to be lots more to come. And really, I don't know if, if if we know that, but I think you can go a little bit. I think you can kind of think to yourself, how far behind the the other sports is wrestling and far as the hobby goes and put yourself that far back on the bell curve. Uh, the other thing I want to mention, Drake, you talk, you showed your more modern autographed Hulk Hogan card, beautiful card, by the way. There's only 10 out there. Yes, there's only 10 of that card out there but there can easily be more Hulk Hogan autograph cards that are gold out of 10 that come out in the future. And so you might want that one too. That's fine. But and there, it's a different card, but that's something that I think about as a collector too, with what I collect, you know, do I want to, do I, do I, do I need to get every card out of 10 of my player? Because there's going to be more cards out of 10, especially if they're still alive and signing. So those are my takeaways from uh, the conversation you two were just having. Any any feedback from either of you on 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 that? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's all really interesting discussions as far as you know something that we're very passionate about. Um, and there's no right or wrong answer. You just want to try to make sure that you're careful. But right, let's let's lay it on the line. Whoever buys that, well, if it gets graded, and whoever buys it, they'll be king of the mountain with that 82 wrestling mm-hmm. all star Hulk Hogan. And I think that we are are probably safe to assume at this point that although more are going to get graded per your bell you know curve it doesn't mean there's going to be many more nines or tens that card's impossible mm-hmm. so what i think is really interesting is it's what is vintage and we'll close uh, maybe my segment with that today because for drake even though there is 50s parkhurst wrestling that's not really what he considers to be vintage to me an 82 wrestling Hulk Hogan rookie with no tens. Why is that not vintage? Because it doesn't say 1962. It says 1982. Um, the point is wrestling wasn't really established at that point. And because that card is so difficult to find in high grade, um, I do think that 
it would actually behoove and be beneficial for the Hulk Hogan market that that card gets graded and it gets sold at public auction because it will likely bring up the price of all the other really nice column, nice eights and nines, whether it be they're bumpable or not. It's more about, I think the market right now is lacking guidance. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what happens with these call friend sports, uh, Drake, is that the lack of guidance is sometimes hurting, mm -hmm. um, you know, the prices or at least keeping them at bay. But for someone like yourself, who's trying to acquire, that might be exactly what you're looking for. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you hit the nail on the head. There's so few transactions right now of those high grades. There's, there's honestly, there's like five people that are holding all the highest graded copies right now and they don't want to do anything with them. And so that, I think that kind of, I don't want to say limits the market, but it just, you don't really know. Um, and I think that that creates a lot of questions kind of, you know, really amongst collectors of what do we really have here? So great so perspective. I I don't know much about vintage wrestling cards, but I oh I do own one, and I'm going to show it to you guys right now. See if, if this is something that either of you are familiar with. It's the 1952 Al Hafts Stars of the Mat Ruffy Silverstein. <laughs> I've never seen that card before, Jeremy, but that's awesome. <laughs> Leighton, have you ever come across the Al Hafts cards? No, but I'm going to look at the pop report later. I'm going to corner the market except for yours. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I bought this on Com C like uh, several years ago. Couldn't have cost me more than twenty bucks. I just thought, what a what a neat what a neat card. I mean, look at this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so cool. I that screams it. 1950s wrestling. That's for sure. It does. Yeah, 52 wrestling right there, guys. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, pull that one out of my hat. Well, Leighton. Uh, Thank you again for coming on. It was great to see you at the Mint Collective. Yeah, everybody, if you can follow Leighton on Instagram, check out the ticker right now, Leighton underscore Sheldon, just underscore collect. And you can listen to his podcast, Trading Card Therapy, on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Leighton, thank you, and we'll see you again uh, next week. Yep, and I just wanted to drop a special note and a reminder for those who are going to be in the tri-state area next Thursday and Friday, REA. Robert Edwards Auctions is actually doing a takeover of our Just Collect store with a super cool auction preview. So there'll be millions of dollars of vintage cards and memorabilia on display at our offices in Millburn, New Jersey. Come on by. It'll be 4 to 9 o'clock next Thursday and Friday. If you want more details, just send me a DM. I'll be happy to talk to you about it. I wish I was uh, in going to be in Millburn, New Jersey uh, next weekend. Good luck with that event, and, uh, and we'll see you soon. Nice meeting you, Drake. Yep, you too. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremy. You bet. All right. Well, thank you, Leighton. Uh, that was fun. I mean, that that was interesting. Were you, were you following my bell curve? Like, you know, and Leighton mentions, you know, it, getting the, the 82 Hulk Hogan wrestling stars in a PSA 10 is probably never going to happen. If it does, you know, it'll be, it'll be pretty cool. But, and, you know, I'm not talking about hitting a 10. I'm talking mm -hmm. about how many are being submitted. And is that kind of what you were wondering is like, are there going to be so many more of these or... Mm -hmm. And the other thing to say, to add on to what I was saying before, Drake, is that the original grading submission volume bell curve or just curve that turned into a bell was very wide over, mm -hmm. you know, 20, sure. 30 years. I think because wrestling got started a little bit later, the, the overall time horizon of that curve is going to be a lot narrower. You're going to see it go up because people are, oh, mm -hmm. cards, get them graded, cards, get them graded. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just going to happen very quickly now. So you have kind of like, a very sh a shorter window to mm -hmm. to decide if you're going to get when you're going to get in and uh you know 
have we seen much of the population already, the overall population? What, where, where do you think we are for those cards? Yeah. So what I would say is we're probably still rising on the bell curve. And the reason I say that is because just looking through social media, I see people post pictures and they may have like four or five in a stack, right? And I'm not saying they're all high grade, but they're still out there. There's still sealed sets that are out there, um, things like that. And so it just, it raises questions as far as like, well, how many of those are still out there? It, um, as you were talking, I, I was reminded, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the 2002 Fleer WWF set. That's kind of the rookie card of uh, guys like John Cena and Brock Lesnar and those guys. And I remember I had a John Cena and a PSA nine um, of that. And I think at the time the pop was like nine or something. And I had a guy that sent me a, um, a picture on direct message on Instagram. And he said, hey, I've got this huge stack of cards. Would you be interested? I'm like, well, maybe send them to me. And there was a stack of literally like 50, 2002 John Cena's. And I'm going, if this guy has all these and kind of the point I wanted to make a little bit before is wrestling cards didn't really have value. Um, you know, when I spoke of, of David Peck, people made fun of him on the blowout forums because he was grading wrestling cards and was getting into wrestling cards and, and that sort of thing. And of course, you know, he's the one laughing now, but they really didn't have value until four years ago. When I say value, they had value, but not significant value. Um, you know, cause you could, you go back on a site like card ladder and you look up, um, you know, super fractors and from Chrome and things like that from 2014, 2015, and they were selling for like hundreds of dollars. And you think of how super fractors now sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and so that that's kind of the thing is because when something doesn't have value, people aren't paying the money to grade it. When something does have value or could have value, again, in a rational world, what we saw in 2020, 2021 wasn't super rational. That's a rush to grade, to try to grade as many things as I can and all that kind of stuff. And I still think we may still be in that a little bit because I know when PSA shut down in 2021, you know, people weren't sending wrestling cards because it was too expensive to send them. And so just from what I'm seeing, there's still a lot of raw copies out there that may still be submitted. And so, yeah, there may not be a 10, there may not be another nine, but I think it, it gives you someone pause who maybe wants to get into one of those cards in the highest grade possible, like a seven or eight, you know, how protected are you from a, a supply versus the versus a demand standpoint? And yeah, you may want the card, but you don't want to buy the card today that you're going to keep that maybe five to 10 years from now, you could buy it at a cheaper price because the supply has gone up and the demand has not increased at the same rate of supply. But if you wait to buy it and you and you are taking a risk, the price could go down, it could go up as well. You, we just don't know what the future holds, but you're also sacrificing the time that you get to own these cards. And that's sure. what us collectors enjoy doing is just owning the cards. It's a it's that pride of ownership. It's the ability to go look at them, to play with our cards. I like to say, I like to play with my cards, take sure. them out. Pair this one with that one, you know, match the colors as we see people doing like there's there's all sorts of ways to enjoy them. And part of uh, part of owning cards is that we're actually we're kind of we're renting them. We're renting them for a period of time that we get to be their, their custodian. And then we pass them along to somebody else. We recover some of the rents that we've ex that we've put out there over the years and uh, maybe more than we've spent or maybe less. It just depends. But sure. That's a that's a a real collector kind of comment there. <laughs> no, it is it it is, and I would agree with you on that 100. percent And it's actually a sentiment I share with a lot of people is, you know, there's been cards that I decide to sell, and I'm not looking at, well, gosh, I've got to make what I paid on it, or I'm not going to sell it, or I'm going to wait till it goes back up, or all that. But part of when you buy a card, just as if you buy a TV or you buy a motorcycle or a you know watercraft or whatever, 
part of that is the cost of ownership and the cost of like, you know, just enjoying that. And so, you know, I'm sitting here looking at my table of cards right to the side. And, you know, if, if I had to, to sell them all today, I wouldn't sit here and, you know, have an Excel spreadsheet going, I've got to get this for that, or this is my margin on this card or whatever the case may be. It's just, Hey, whatever I paid for that card is whatever I paid. And the fact that I get to have it and look at it every day, that's, that means more than anything to me. For sure. Yep. I, I like that a lot. Makes good sense to me. Collector's Dream says great story about uh, the Manning cast at the Mint Collective. I'm glad you got a kick out of that. Mark Santucci uh, lives very close to White Plains where there will be, there's a regular card show at White Plains. I hear a lot about it. Baz in the house. What's going on? Baseball card curmudgeon. Jordan Hudson uh, picked up that 2020 Bret Hart Finest Gold Refractor the other day. Drake, uh, Love it. what do you think of that? Oh, that's a great card. It's a, it's an awesome, uh, an awesome shot. Um, 2020 finest is the first year that they had the WWE finest uh, license. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are putting together the, the gold set. Um, it's interesting. Some of those golds are out of 10, some are out of 50, uh, but that's a great card. Very cool. Congrats, Jordan. Uh, Matt from the Essential Credentials and join the conversation. Happy Easter to you and everyone else as well. Good to see you. I'm going to be uh, guesting on the Essential Credentials podcast. I believe we're doing that this coming week or next. We're doing it soon. It's in my calendar. Don't worry, Matt. I won't miss it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that conversation. So let's, you know, we're talking about collecting now, Drake. Let's talk. Let's get into a little bit of the the collecting aspect and your approach, your tips. You know, you spend lots of money on your cards. You love the hobby. You're willing to put serious money into the cards that you love to own. Uh, and I want to touch on like the collecting versus investing and how you look at it. And I got to mention, I put out a, a, a reel on my Instagram the day before yesterday, got a lot of commentary. Basically, I basically, it was very short. I basically in the, in that reel, and it's from a past episode of the show. I say that People always, I, I see people saying that that some sports cards are not investments. And that's fine. If that's the position you want to take, take that position. I'm not going to disrespect you for it or, or think that, that, that you're wrong. But that's not the position I take. I don't think that that's true. I think sports cards can be investments. And I go on to say in this reel that I went, I went and I looked up the definition of investment. And I can clearly tell you that sports cards can and do and can fit into that definition of investment. Whether you consider them an investment or not, and I'm talking to everybody in the hobby, not just you, Drake, is really up to you. What, what, how do you look at them? But let's get into what you do, Drake, and your approach to the hobby, collecting versus investing. You know, I always say, Drake, if I'm putting what I consider to be ser- significant money into a card, not, that is going to be a different threshold for everybody, just like we, you know, we have our own tax bracket. You know, what is significant to me is personal and, and, and private, but if I put significant money into a card, I consider the investment potential of the card. What about you? How do you approach and what is your thought process when you're when you're deploying significant money into a card? Absolutely. Yeah. So I would definitely say I'm more of a collector than a straight investor, but I do think of investment potential when I am buying a card. And like we talked about previously, when I say investment potential, that doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, I'm buying this card and I think it's going to increase in value. For me, it can be a store of like I'm buying this card because I think it's a great store of value, which I also think is an investment perspective, right? Sometimes you buy 
stocks or you buy other stuff because you think they're great stores of value. Um, but my philosophy when I look at that, right, and it's a store of value and it's also, as we mentioned before, the, the cost of ownership. You get to spend time with that. That's part of the investment aspect of it. Um, but whenever I, I look at the money that I'm going to spend on a card, if it's significant money, I look at, again, supply, demand, Will I have another chance to get this item? Um, you know, is is it something where I'm protected by it, right? And that kind of speaks to my my question to Leighton and kind of the vintage conversation. We've seen, gosh, over the last two years, cards that we thought were were bulletproof in the market, right? And they've been they go up and they do that middle finger and come back down. Yeah, maybe they were higher than they were in 2019, but it's still that up down up down kind of thing. And so my whole collecting philosophy, and I've shared this with other people, is I want to have the most unique collection in the world is I don't, is I don't want my cards to look like anybody else. You know, I'll share one. I'm probably one of the only guys that has this Peyton Manning card and you look at it and you think, well, what's that? Well, there's only 12 of them and flip over the back. It's got a full piece of game use football, right? What? I mean, and isn't that cool? Right. Yeah. I mean, never seen that Drake. I've never seen it, that. Right. And so, and that's, that's the type of reaction that I, if I see a card like that and I say, I've never seen that, that's a card that just lights up, lights up everything for me. And I'm like, you know, just open up the checkbook, so to speak. Um, and that's, you know, it's similar to the Roger Stahlbach and the Peyton Manning card. And, and it's like, I see, I see cards like that. And that's what I see is like true investment potential is when someone goes, wow, I've never seen that. Right. You walk around card shows and you see the same, you know, uh, like base cards and, you know, prism silvers and other more like modern cards and all that. And that stuff just doesn't appeal to me because you can get it at any time and you see it anywhere. Right. So like, I'll, I'll share another one. This card is an investment to me, right? Most everybody on here knows Vince McMahon. Um, he's kind of the Walt Disney of wrestling. This is his only autographed. This is the top transcendent super fractor from 2021. It's a one of one. This is his only super fractor autograph. I mean, you think of a guy, you know, guys that go down in the history of wrestling and things like that. Um, you know, that, that to me, I think is a big car, but I enjoyed, I bought that car, not because I thought, well, I think in five years, it's going to be worth X amount of money. It's like, I bought that car because I grew up in Memphis. I grew up a wrestling fan and Vince McMahon gave me a product that was a huge part of my life. Right. And so that's how I view those things from a collectible standpoint. I buy it because I love it. I buy it because it's unique and something that somebody else doesn't have. And I found that in many cases, those are the best investments. Yeah, that's that's I, I, as you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, like, have I ever bought a card for significant money because it's an investment without me also loving it? And I don't think that I have. I don't think that I've ever, you know, put out like deployed significant capital into something that I'm not going to love owning. And if I have it's only because maybe I hadn't seen it in hand or something and then I, I receive it. And it's like, oh, I don't love this card as much as I had hoped I would or thought I would. So I'm willing to, to, to let it go and, you know, put that money into something different. So I under the Vince McMahon card and, you know, not, not to take anything away from that card because it is a beautiful card, but his autograph, I, I, I know oh, it looks it's like so sloppy. Dropped, looks like he just dropped the pen on the card and that was the autograph. <laughs> it's so bad, you know, but, but I've seen it. I've looked for other, you know, first of all, he doesn't sign very much. And obviously with the, the you know, the new transaction with UFC and, and all that kind of stuff, I, I'm not sure how much he's going to be around much, but 
I've never seen a real good autograph of his before. So if somebody watching has one or they've seen it, certainly, uh, certainly bring it to me because yeah, his autograph just looks like a scribble. It's not good. <laughs> so to sort of summarize your approach to spending big money on cards, really you are, you're, you're conscientious of the money that you're deploying into these things. You're not, you don't want to waste that money. Like you don't want to, you don't want to sell it. You don't want to sell it at a loss, but you're okay selling these down the road at a bit of a loss. Hopefully nothing that's going to hurt you or your ability to retire, anything like that, of course. But you're also not, when you're, when you're making the purchase decision, you're not thinking solely about, okay, I'm putting a thousand dollars into this card. If it goes to two, I'm going to sell it. If it goes up 50%, I'm going to sell it. No, you are buying these cards to hold them really until you're ready to wind down your collection, like in, in old age, uh, and whatever you get for them, you get for them. All that I, I, You're nodding, so I think I'm right. Also, you're not going to spend significant money on a card that you think could tank in value. Like, even if you love, or maybe you would, this mm-hmm. is a question. Are you willing to put out significant money into a card that you love, but you think this is probably going to, or has a good chance of coming down in value? Now, I have to just add to this, Drake, before I let you jump in, that that usually isn't going to happen with a GOAT or a retired player. It's more often going to happen with, you know, a, a younger up-and-coming, a prospect or or even someone who, you know, look at John Morant. I mean, again, you know, he he does something. It could significantly impact the values of his cards. Or he could be a great buy right now. I don't know which one it is. But can you just kind of speak to that? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that to me, I really don't do that at all. Um, that, uh, like I mentioned before, getting back in the hobby, that made me really, really nervous to do that. And, um, you know, it was just too much value fluctuations. And, you know, uh, um, as you mentioned, a lot of people say like, oh, for every card you buy, you have to have a plan for it. Right. It's like, oh, well, like you mentioned, when it hits a certain value, I'm going to sell it or all that. And I, I've shared with other people that I don't have really plans for the cards I buy. And maybe I should, um, but it's really like, you know, and a lot of people say, well, I'm going to buy these cards. And, you know, when it's time for my kids to go to college, they're going to pay for my college and or they're going to pay for their college. And that's not really why what my plan is. You know, I'm sure at some point I'll have an exit strategy and I'll figure it out. I would love to just gift them all to my son someday, um, you know, and then if he sells them, so be it. Somebody make it make it a good deal. But um, it, it, it's meaning it's meaningful to me. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that that to me, it's it's hard for me to justify um, putting a lot of money into something that I think could tank. Um, and, and, and so far, you know, and not that I sell very often, but where, where I've done well, I think is being able to take a bunch of cards that I didn't really care about as much. And this has been a while that since I've done this and either sell those or trade those. So I'll, I'll share another one I have. That's one of my favorites. So this is a Peyton Manning, uh, 2014 flawless. This is a platinum one of one. Um, and so it's got the it's got the bro patch. Um, and so 2014 was the first year of flawless in football. Obviously, a game worn patch. Uh, absolutely one of my favorite cards in my collection. But um, I, I I remember taking like a uh, a 2000 Bowman Chrome Tom Brady rookie card, some LeBron James refractors, and you know so PSA nines, and you know they're all great cards in of themselves. But the fact that there were just value fluctuations and you never really knew what was going on, like as you mentioned before, when I'm spending significant money on a card, it's got to be of a player I love or a set I love or a parallel that I love. 
And the ones I had, I didn't like that. And when I saw that card, you know, when it became available, I was, um, I was like white on rice jumping after that thing because that card, it just, it, it, it's, it stuck out to me as something that I really wanted in my collection. That is a banger of a card. A one-on-one first year flawless game use patch, the bro from Broncos on card auto. Let's see it again. I mean, that is a gorgeous card. Uh, uh, it's uh, on uh, the uh, thumbnail for this episode too. Okay. Yep. So we got, we've got that. And then I actually, I also have the one-of-one patch uh, here that goes with just it. Tilt the top towards the camera a little bit on those. Okay. Yep, yeah. Sorry. Thank you. There yeah, you go. Yep. Yeah. No problem. So the one is the patch auto. The other one is the patch. I wish it had been the same color. That would have been really kind of cool to spell out Broncos, but Hey, it's, it's close enough. So close. And yeah, close enough. Right. <laughs> So very nice, very cool. cool, very, very cool card. So you mentioned that you know you don't have a plan for every card, and some people say you should have a plan for every card. I'm with you. I don't think you need to have like an exit plan for every card while you're alive, but I do think it's important to have a plan for your collection from a succession planning perspective mm -hmm. so that you don't burden your kids if they don't want. You said your son, well, maybe he'll sell them, someone will get a good deal. And I know you're you're tongue in cheek I when am, you say that, but I just want to put out there and I've put it out there before that, you know, if you, especially if you have a family like kids and that it's important that, that we are thinking about what happens if we get hit by that proverbial bus tomorrow and we aren't here to direct our next of kin as far as what they should do to maximize the return of those cards. If, because especially if they don't have any emotional, sentimental, nostalgic value attached to them, maybe they only want to keep one of their dad's collection, one card to remember their dad sell the rest they'd rather have the money and i can tell you i in my when i had kids and put together my estate and life insurance and all these things i have a document that is with my last will and testament that that specifically says what to do with my collection upon my demise and i recently went in and like up recently like literally like this week i went in and i updated it i updated i put in a new piece of information that I thought was really important because I don't know when, you know, the when the time comes, happens. sure. You just don't know. So I know that's not what you were getting at. And you're, I'm sure you're a smart guy. I'm sure you've got something figured out, but for anyone else listening or watching who doesn't know, take care of that business. If, especially if your collection is worth something significant and what that'll be different for everybody. So sure. Yeah. And, and, and it's something, you know, it's tough to think about, right. You know, like I joke with my wife sometimes like seeks talking about life insurance and all that, but it's, it's great to have yourself protected in cases. And, you know, it's, it's great from like a, a collectibles insurance perspective, right. If you've got a lot of stuff at your house um, you know, you might be in a storm or, you know, a flood or your house could burn down or something like that. It's important to, to have that stuff insured. And then the other thing too, and you kind of hinted at this a little bit, Jeremy is, make sure you have like a trusted friend in the hobby that maybe is, uh, you know, um, can, knows what to do with your cards because, because I can tell you this, if I, you know, were to pass away suddenly unexpectedly. Right. And my wife would have no clue how to, what to do with cards. Should she keep them? How does she going to list them on eBay? Does she send them to an auction? Like she has no clue on that. And so that was one of the best pieces of advice that someone gave me is have your trusted friend in the hobby that if something were to happen, you know, your wife or your kids or whatever, they know to turn to that person and that person will, will, will do the right thing, you know, with your stuff. And this may, I mean, what I'm about to say may not be important, but I feel it is have that written down, put that person's name. Cause if, if you and your wife go at the same sure. time, right. That that's a, there is a, a condition in my estate to handle that scenario 
uh, if that happens, then then what then what does what does your brother sister do to make sure your kids are 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 left as well off as possible? Uh, have that friend's name written down. Have their phone number in there. Maybe their email address. Where the what city they live in. I think that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. And yes. and also stay on top of these things because your friend might leave the hobby. Your friend might not be your friend anymore. Your friend might pass away unexpectedly. Have a couple in there. Okay. Let's let's keep going. This is uh it's sort of depressing, but it's very important to, to talk about that. Uh, Matt says next Saturday I'm on his show, but we're recording it on Wednesday, right? Matt says loved Drake's comment about not having to get the same value out of the card that you paid. The cost of ownership, very well put. Yes, I agree, Matt, and thank you for that comment, Drake. Rage says couldn't agree more, fellas. Great thoughts. Like I've said a ton way back in the boom, buy the stuff you love. But if you're looking for money, grab rarity, short prints, refractors, inserts, and Hall of Famers uh, before you buy base cards. I think, I think, think, and great advice, Rage. I think most people know the base cards are for fun. It's for building sets, put filling in your pages, or getting cards autographed in person when you're going to the baseball games and hockey games and that sort of thing. Dexflow says, Drake, I recently started an ambitious personal collection, the 2022 WWE Prism. 200 card set, all white sparkle, two days in, and I have 34. That is some good progress, Dexflow. What do you have to say to that, Drake? Yeah, it is. Those white sparkles are just beautiful cards. And that's, uh, gosh, getting 34 in in a couple of days is great because those things are pretty pretty short printed. I don't know. They estimate like maybe 20 to 25 printed. Um, so that's pretty awesome to be able to pick up that many so far. So good luck. If I can help, let me know. Yeah, and, and that'll look nice. Those will look nice. However, you're going to, whether you store them in a binder decks flow or you put them in top loaders or you get them graded, they look gorgeous in tag slabs, let me tell you. Very nice, uh, Dex. Flow. Good, good luck on completing the set. Mark Santucci says some players are, if you get them at the right price, say an Ovechkin, if you can get, say, his rookie or Crosby's rookie at the right price, they can be investments. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that goes, we're talking about good players, goat players hall of fame players can definitely be uh investments dave kaplan is back from the show in langley bc got his series two boxes of upper deck hockey dex flow says drake thoughts on graded wrestling figures i think it's being slept on and i before you jump in drake i can say that i covered the lcg auction uh last month and they do action figures uh, a lot of action figure and they do wrestling stuff and these things caught my eye but over Mm -hmm. to you yeah, no, I mean, I, I I don't know I can speak to the graded ones, but I do remember, uh, gosh, in like the late 90s, early or so early 90s, late 90s, I remember getting all the Hasbro wrestling figures and I still have them all like sitting in my attic and my wife's like, what are you going to do with these things? And again, I don't know. I just still enjoy having them. Um, but mine are played with for the most part. But there was a time I was actually going and I don't remember the site. Um, but I was getting a lot of those sealed Hasbro and Jack's like wrestling figures. And I still have... Uh, and I still have those and they're sealed in the package and so on and so forth. Um, I certainly think there's, there's an opportunity there. Um, I think it's just one of those things like you've got to, got to let things play out a little bit. You know, again, we go into like the graded video games and you go into the graded VHS tapes and all that. And, you know, I think you just have to be careful with stuff and make sure that you're not buying into a pump and dump or, you know, or something like that. Um, you know, certainly if you, if you love them, I mean, like I said, I think the wrestling figures are really cool. They're very nostalgic. 
Um, not really sure from a display standpoint, it might be kind of tough and it might get kind of big. I think my wife would kill me if I pulled out all my wrestling figures and started to, to started to display them. Um, but yeah, if, if you love them in which I know that you're a wrestling fan and you're a wrestling collector, um, I certainly think there's probably some opportunity there. Yeah. I think, I think there might be, I don't know a lot about it, but I know that the action figure world, I find it to be fascinating. And, uh, and if I wasn't a card collector, I think I'd be all over action figures and video games because that is uh, that's a lot of my youth was spent playing with action figures and playing the... If you can see right above me now across this shelf here, anyone who's a regular viewer of the show, you've never seen that before. Those are the five graded video games. They're all Atari 2600 and Nintendo NES. There's five of them. And I bought them on the PWCC Weekly a few weeks ago, and they arrived when we were out away at Vegas, and I uh, I made room for them up there, and uh, I enjoy looking at them when I walk in here every day. So I, I probably have a killer collection of action figures and video games if I didn't already have a killer collection of sports cards. So <laughs> Same, same, yeah. Matt Person says you can just leave the breeze cards to me, Drake. There, I'm sure you'd have a lot of uh, volunteers for that for that duty. Uh, Matt, I'm I'm sure Drake will consider that. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. So Matt actually lives down in the New Orleans area, and he's a big Saints fan. He he's actually gotten some Breeze cards from me before. So. Oh, good. Okay. At least you know each other. I I love that. Lapper in the house. How you doing, Aaron? Great to see you. We'll see you in Toronto in a couple of weeks. Flea market mixtapes as I don't know early LeBron early LeBron years base cards like 04 to 08 are good buys and. And you know what? I'm going to believe flea market mixtape and say probably right. I don't know for sure. I don't follow them. The, the simple base cards. I know that the refractors are very are hotly pursued. People want to do the whole run of refractors. But if there's value in those base cards, if you can love them and, uh, and own them, then all the power to you for sure. Marco says, collect what you love. And the hobby is hotter than ever. Can't wait till Expo. I'll come by on Friday. I'll see you there. Marco and Mark Santucci says, Drake, do you like any of the older wrestlers? Pedro Morales, Jimmy Snuka, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Nature Boy Ric Flair. I think about, I think about Rogi Vash, not Rogi Vashon. Um, I think about, uh, what was his name? The Animal, the, the big hairy guy. George the Animal Steel. George the Animal Steel. <laughs> Baron Von Raschke. Raschke, yeah. And the Vashons. Yeah. yeah, those are the those are the wrestlers. When I was watching the AWA before the WWF, those were the guys that I Hulk Hogan, of course, mm -hmm. that I rem, that I remember really well. Jake the Snake, what do you what do you say to this question from? My oh mind? yes, I I mean those are great names. Um, I think I mentioned for a group of the Memphis area, so you know guys like Jerry the King Lawler, that's a big name for me, and and a lot of those guys that uh, you know went on to superstardom in the World Wrestling Federation, they came through Memphis. Um, and so it was neat to see those guys before they were big stars. I mean, even guys like Hulk Hogan and, uh, you know, The Rock and, 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 and some of those folks. But yeah, I mean, just seeing these names right here, you know, screams the 80s and early 90s. Um, and just, just what a great time for wrestling. So for sure. No, thanks, Mark Santucci, for uh, bringing up some, some fun old names like that. And then, of course, we've got Ricky the Dragon Steamboat right here, which we're going to give this away shortly on this show so if you want to stick around and have a chance to win this uh in in honor of drake being on the show a wrestling collector and in advance of the three-year anniversary show of sports cards live coming up next saturday on the channel we've got some really 
cool giveaways. I'm lining up a bunch of people to come through the show and uh, really an opportunity for me to, to, to thank a lot of people for support and encouragement over the last three years. Uh, okay, Drake, let's talk about your how you how you immerse yourself in the hobby and how you know to me i say it's in the it's in the opening song to this show it says sports cards is a lifestyle it is for me at least that's why you know it's it's my song sports cards is my lifestyle uh which sounds it's kind of a funny comment but really like you know sports cards family like i shouldn't say sports it's the sports card hobby which is so much more than just the cards but we can always come back to the cards you know family um yeah that that that, that's pretty much my life Mm -hmm. uh and i i i immerse myself in the hobby in various ways you know i have the way i do it people know that if you if you've been watching me listening to me what about you like you collect cards you go to shows a lot of it, and this is a new sort of pillar of being a hobby participant, is consuming content. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of it out there right now. I mean, there's more than ever, it feels like. And we're still seeing new people come onto the scene producing some really good and interesting content. What about yourself? Um, are you, Do you consider content to be sort of a pillar of your hobby experience? Definitely, yes. I uh, love consuming whether it's podcast or YouTube shows or um, people will do like an Instagram live or they'll do like a top 10. There's some of those that I've hosted, um, you know, and I would also consider content like group chats, right? That's more of a community type thing, community content, but that's where you get to share things with people and bounce ideas off people and all that kind of stuff. But I, I love content and, and what and I listen to podcasts almost every morning when I wake up, when I'm traveling, I'm listening to a podcast or a YouTube show or something like that. It's a huge part of my daily life. Um, you know, like I'm the guy like most people when they go to the gym to work out, they're listening to, you know, like rage music or whatever. And I'm listening to card content. Um, so uh, but but what really drives me is the collector, <clears throat> excuse me, collector focused content. There's a lot of content out there about telling you, you know, who's hot right now and who you should buy and who you should sell and why this person's better than that, that person or we'll just banter. Some of that's good, but I, I love the whole collector content, like what, why somebody collects somebody and what they like. And, you know, um, that, that to me is just content that drives me and actually helped me, like I mentioned previously, kind of go from that buying just everything shotgun approach and following the herd um, to really getting to what I like, because once I selected, okay, I like a guy like a Peyton Manning and I would listen to, uh, you know, some basketball content creators and they talked about their favorite sets and parallels and stuff. And I remember them coming out with like, you know, precious metal gems and basketball, you know, for example, and I'm thinking, okay, well, wonder if Peyton has a PMG card. Well, sure enough, he does. Um, and so kind of hard to see this PSA nine as PMG rookie card, um, there, and so I was able to get that. And so he has two years and this is his 99 PMG um, that I've got there. Both of those out of 50, but what was neat about those? And I'll, I'll share, you know, you basketball's big, the star rubies. So here's Manning, here's his uh, 98 rubies rookie card. And then here's his 99 shining star rubies next to him. But what was neat about that? And I, I don't share those to be like, wow, look at these cards. But what was neat about that is. But wow, I've, look at those cards. <laughs> I mean, this sort of those are four grails in a row there, everybody. Like those are those are big boy cards. All right. Well, I can't leave out the 24 karat gold. This is probably the most beautiful card in my collection. So this is his rookie. They're numbered out of 24. 
But those were kind of cars that I may not have been on my radar had I not been consuming collector driven content because it wasn't like I was listening to content that was saying like, you need to buy Peyton Manning, Shining Star Rubies or 24 karat golds or PMGs because you probably won't find that out there. Yeah, that's a parallel people love and covet and things like that. But people were saying like, oh, you need to look into these Jordan cards, right? Just like you saw with the Shack, like the Essential essential Credentials Future. That's great parallel, great set. And so it allowed me to, it kind of gave me that curiosity to go explore and say, well, I wonder if Peyton has a card like that. And so um, that that's really what drives me from a content perspective. And I think the more of that we can get out there, the better, that more collector focused, collector driven content that's meant to educate and inspire, I'll say, and not influence. I think there's a big difference between inspiring and influence. And when content is meant to influence, I think that's a negative. When it's meant to inspire, I think it's positive. I think uh, I agree 100%. Uh, you know, people use the word influencer very loosely uh, uh, when speaking about any content creator and I certainly personally strive to inspire versus influence. And uh, that's, I, I have that top of mind all the time. And I certainly hope it comes across that way. I, I don't know for sure. Cause I can't see myself uh, and I don't watch my stuff. So I don't know for sure. Uh, just the little clips. I watched the, the little clips that I put sure. out on Instagram. Uh, but, uh, but I, I love that you said that. Cause that that's so true. If you're looking for content, you know, and some people want to be influenced, Drake. Some people want to be told what to do. Not told, but suggested to what what to collect, how to collect. And if you're new to the hobby, you might be looking for some shortcuts. And some influencers might be able to provide you with some direction. Whether it works out for you or not, it's another story. You're going to be responsible no matter who you listen to. That's on you as the, as the content uh, consumer. But yeah be inspired. Like I get inspired all the time watching content, listening to content, a card that I maybe saw, but didn't take a close look at. Now someone's doing a, a deep dive into it. And I'm like, wow, what a great card. Okay. You've inspired me. Now I'm going to go find that card for myself of, of that, of whatever player it doesn't have to be that exact player, but you've been inspired to pick up those cards as have I like, like this card right here that I picked up at the mint collective. I mean, I've been inspired. Number one, I was inspired to start collecting Shaquille O'Neal. Number two, I was inspired at some point to start collecting uh, essential credentials because I think they're so cool. And I'm sure I've inspired other people to go on and do that as well from there. So it's not like I, you know, I'm not the originator of it. I've just, I was inspired. I'm inspiring. And I think there's a lot of content creators out there that, that provide inspiration versus influence at least i hope that i i know because that's what i gravitate towards there's a question here mookie chilson says can you share the names of content creators you consume give us your top three now i i don't love answering these questions because <laughs> i don't want to leave somebody out that i'm friends with whose content i consume and and if you're gonna if you're gonna sit here and not say me drake i gotta kick you out of the studio so uh, you gotta be careful you gotta be careful with these sorts of questions but but to answer this for me, and I'll give you a moment, Drake, if you want to take a second and think about it, sure. what I'm going to, what I'm going to, how I'm going to answer this is I'm going to go through my downloaded podcast that I listened to on the airplane to and from Las Vegas. And I'm going to read you the guys that are still in here. Now there were other podcasts that I listened to, and then I delete them from my downloaded, 
but these are the ones. So I've got um, right off the top, Lucas Tigers and Bronze, Hockey Cards Gong Show, Sports Card Lessons, Stacking Slabs, Crosstown Cardboard, and the 615 Collector. Those are all the ones that are in my downloads that I, uh, oh, I've listened to some I haven't deleted. I've listened to and others I just haven't listened to yet, and hopefully I will. But that's what's in my kind of, you know, up next playlist right now. But I, I want, this is just podcast. I watch YouTube as well. And I didn't mention any YouTubers in that, in that list. And I'm not going to, but Drake, uh, how would you like to answer this question? Yeah. So when that question came up, I grabbed my phone and you just like you, I'm afraid I'm going to miss somebody and I, I still will miss someone. Um, but just a few kind of running down. Um, so if I do leave someone out, please don't take it personally. But as you mentioned, stacking slabs, Brett does a great, great job. Uh, Chris and Josh, so the crossover. I'm kind of known as the guy who asks the question every Friday night on the crossover, and I I've turned it. Yeah, yeah, and I just kind of, I just kind of run with it. And you know, one of the things that I, I tell them, and I, and and Chris and Josh and Christine and I, we have a great relationship, and I love them. But you know, a lot of times someone will present a question to me, or I'll see a question out there in the hobby, and maybe somebody doesn't know about that show, or maybe it can help somebody. And a lot of times, I. I know the answers to the questions that I'm asking, but I feel like, hey, if this can help somebody, maybe they're not asking the question or don't know the right questions to ask. And so I try to come from a stance of hopefully this this can help somebody else, you know, in their journey through the hobby. Uh, but continue on the Card Foundation podcast, uh, Lucas Tigers and Braun, uh, Sports Card Therapist, um, gosh, uh, the Worlds Collide Wrestling Podcast, Card Talk uh, Pod, um, like those guys, um, Sports Card Nobody, um, gosh, I could go on and on and on again. I'm missing somebody. Zan Morning Wrestling with Cards does a good job. Um, I know that Adam Gelman, he does a lot of work for wrestling trading cards. Um, and that's more of a YouTube show. And he breaks down sets and breaks down different parallels and all that and kind of helps to guide and navigate you through, uh, like the more modern releases and things like that. So, um, and of course, I can't leave out Sports Card Live. That's the number one. Dude, you just saved yourself. You just saved yourself. <laughs> this, show will, this show will now live on on, on this yes, channel for sure. Yes. Whew. No. Uh, yeah, you know, there, there's lots of great selection. There, there's a there's a great selection of content out there. There's more and more coming, and you know, it's uh, we're lucky right now. Sometimes I sometimes I can't decide what to watch or listen to, and sometimes I I, I there's nothing I want to. So you know, I, I just say keep it coming uh, as more and more people want to uh, get their thoughts and opinions and hobby approaches out there. Uh, okay. Rage here says agree spot on. You're right as well. Investment is all a part of it. I'm a collector first dealer. Second got to fund the hobby somehow. Drake, we're twins. hundred percent. I'll set up all. Okay. I, I can't read your emojis rage, but thank you so much. Sports MD card collector says great discussion. Always appreciate those types of com those types of comments and hobby champs says collect, co sorry, Colvesters. So it's a, He's mashing up collectors and investors into one word are the final form of hobbyists. I think that might be true. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I've never seen that word. Well, the word is one thing, but the sentence too, because yeah, I like the word too, Drake, but the final form of hobbyist, because ever since Beckett price guides first came out, we had at least me. I mean, I remember until then I didn't, my cards were worth what I paid for them out of the gum packs. But until I saw the price guide, my cards weren't about money. And then it, then money starts entering your mind. And maybe this is a, a very accurate comment that collect. I think I've used the term 
I don't remember. Anyway, Covesters are the maybe they are the final form. You know, I often say, Drake, you've got this continuum. You got investor here, collector here. We're all somewhere in between. Very few people, if any, are going to be on the extremes. Mm -hmm. But I think there are some people who are on the extremes. I think there are some people who just collect, don't give a, a hoot what the cards are worth. They just want to collect their tops base set every year, their upper deck base set every year, whatever it is. And uh, and on with life they go. Uh, okay, let's uh, look at Mookie. Yeah, you are welcome, says I watch many of those guys on YouTube. And Jeremy, you're in my top three. That's very nice to hear, Mookie. Thank you so much. Mark says, Drake, do you watch any football content creators on YouTube? And do you watch TJ Mack or Stories in Cardboard? So I do not. I'm not familiar with those, but I did see your comment and I've, I've written those down. I need to uh, check those out. So thanks for thanks for the suggestion. Good, good stuff. You mentioned that, you know, you've got great relationships with various people in the hobby. Drake, how important, you know, I asked you earlier, you know, consuming content being a, a you know how much of a pillar of your hobby experience is it and you've you've addressed that now i want to ask the same question but relationships and friendships because let's face it as we get older it becomes harder and harder to make friends unless you're in the hobby if you are in this hobby it's not so hard to make friends if you are outgoing and you're going out mm -hmm. going to shows or you are active in, in in chats or on instagram lives or on message boards how much of a pillar, and 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 I want to tie this into my my other question. I like to ask guests, which is how how does the hobby enhance your life? Mm -hmm. So, speak to all that hobby enhance. How mm -hmm. much does the hobby enhance your life, and how much of a part of that are the relationships and friendships? Yeah, relationships and friendships are everything to me. I, I it's funny. I guess last week or so, I was talking to my wife about how you know, I spend more time communicating with and talking to my hobby friends probably than I do my, you know, our close friends that we have here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Um, you know, and then sometimes maybe you need to step back and say, hey, we need to work on those relationships, you know, a little bit better. But it, it's important to me I, because you have something in common and it, it's great to have sounding boards for just education and learning and just talking to people and sharing your pickups and finding somebody that, you know, collects like you do. Um, and just somebody to get excited about, you know, something that, that maybe a, their interest is the same as you. And so I think that piece is critical. And then you kind of go on to where, Hey, let's plan a meetup at the national or at Mint collective or a show. And you get to hang out and, you know, you get to talk about things besides cards because a lot of time on social media, it's just really card focused. But I've also found that I found, you know, had 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 some hobby friends that, you know, will call to check in on you like, hey, I learned you got a new dog. How's that going? Right. Or, hey, I know you told me you were going to have a surgery or, your, you know, your kid was going to have something going on. And like just hearing things like that is just awesome to know that people care about you. And it's not just about the money and it's not about the value of the cards and it's not about what collection you have or what you don't have but just those relationships that you have. And then whenever you can get out and see those people, um, just kind of going back to something we talked about, or, you know, before at a card show, when you go to a card show, do you feel like you have to get something? No. Like when I go to a card show, my goal is not to find a card, honestly. And I know that may sound weird. If I find something great and that's just icing on the cake, my goal is just to walk around. I enjoy talking to people. I love just meeting people and learning about what they do, what they collect. Um, you know, learning about how the hobby's going for them. 
And then I, and then for me, it's fun to, you know, friends say like, Hey Drake, I see you're going to the Dallas card show. Will you be on the lookout for a 1992 beam team, you know, shack, let's say, or some other card, like the friend, you know, that I said that, that uh, they got the, uh, they got the Bo Jackson for that to me is, is the best thing in the hobby for me is just talking to people at shows and getting around and then kind of the hunt to be able to help someone else find someone that there's something that they're looking for. Like, I really enjoy that more than any other card that I will ever pick up in my life. And so that's, that's why I think relationships are, are so great is, is having those people that, that you can turn to for advice, turn to for a sense of support, you know, when, when things, and then, you know, just be, being able to, to help find people, help people find cards they are looking for to enhance their own collections. And, you know, sometimes you get something like that in return and, and, and that's like the best feeling in the world. And uh, so that's, that's how it enhances my hobby experience. And I think that that relationships and community community in the hobby are so important because last thing you want to do is feel like you're, you know, you're on an Island and you're the only collector that's gone through this or is facing struggles or something like that. So it's, 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 uh, it's important to have friends in the hobby. Well said. Couldn't could not agree more. It certainly makes the whole experience that much better. Lapper Aaron says that's the great thing about content like cards. The thrill of the hunt. I started making content, hoping other hockey guys would be inspired to make their own, so I could watch. Yeah, well, wow, exactly, Aaron. And check out his uh, YouTube channel. You see it right there. Lappers with with the threes, hockey card flips. And I uh, look forward to seeing Aaron at the Expo, April Jeremy, 20th to 23rd. So I have a question for you kind of related to his his comment there. You know, for the, a lot of times the hunt and the chase is the best part. Um, but then sometimes you acquire the card and you get it and it's almost just like, a, like you know, is, is there a card that you've gotten or experience you've had where maybe you've been on this huge chase or huge hunt and then I'll, you get the card and you're just like, well, I thought it'd be better than that. Yeah, that I mean, that does that that does happen, and it's happened several times. And you know, here here here's an example of one, uh, and it was a Shaquille O'Neal card that I bought. It was the Big Men on Court, mm-hmm. the the one with the like the the graffiti style writing in the background, and he's jumping off it. And I thought, what a cool card! I love its die cut. I love the colors. And then I got it, and it and it and I bought it online somewhere, and it landed and. I was underwhelmed by the card itself. So, but that's fine. Live and learn. You know, I don't know. I still have the card. I still have it, but it's moved from my PC boxes to my card show boxes. So Mm -hmm. it's going to come with me to the expo. It'll come to me to, it'll come with me to certain shows. And eventually if I don't sell it at a show, I'll, I'll sell it another way. I'll move it and I'll, you know, that money will be, redeployed into a card that I that I do love even the two cards that I traded away to get these two at the mint collective uh were, were two cards that one it was the hot numbers that 3d mm-hmm. card that came out in what, what flare one year I forget the year 95 I think I think it was 95 yeah. you know it's 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 a card I tell you Drake I struggled for a long time to decide do I want to keep it or do I or is this a card that I can move and I took it with me to the Mint Collective and I traded it away. And when I trade, and that was the smaller of the two cards I traded away. The other card was also Michael Jordan from the, the Ultra Ability Superstar, a very low pop card that had blown up in value since I acquired it like eight times what I paid for it. And I thought, you know what? I never loved it. I look at it, like, it's nice, 
I bought it be, I, and I bought that card when I was starting to get into Jordan inserts from the 90s and I didn't know a lot. So I was just kind of buying stuff here and there and seeing what it looked like when I got it. And this card landed. I'm like, and and by the way, I was I, I was soliciting advice from other collectors. Is this a good card? Like, how do you guys view this? Because I, I didn't know a lot about those second half of the 90s inserts. So I, I was looking for guidance. I got it, bought the card. It blew up in value. And I thought, you know, and I never loved it, but I knew it was a, a good piece to own. It didn't at the time cost a ton of money. Anyway, I traded it away and I got two cards that I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. Like I could just look at these two cards all day long. And so the tr it made that, and it also, well, it's kind of funny because I'm, I was going to say the fact that, that they both went up in value allowed me to get into these two cards. Well, the, these two cards experienced a similar rise. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, I could have bought them back then, but in any event, I got to use them cards that I didn't love anymore to get two cards that I do love. And I think I'm going to love for a long time. So that's like, that's a good thing, right? You can take, it's like making lemonade out of lemons to in, in a way. Absolutely. Yep. Nope. That's great. I like that. What about you? I mean, same, have you had similar experiences? Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've had some similar experiences and it, it kind of goes back to, you know, I was buying cards of players that I didn't necessarily have an attachment to. Right. And so you, you see, and you're like, Oh, well, somebody tells me I need to get this card and you get it in and you're like, what? It's okay. Like, like just for example, um, the Luka Doncic, um, his downtown rookie card uh, or the insert or whatever cornerstones it comes in. And I mean, it's got a cartoon and it's, it's kind of cool looking. And it was just one of those things where I got it, you know, it was a, it was a decent price point. And then next thing I know it's shot up in value. And I'm just like, I don't really love this card that much to justify the value that this card is at. So I was able to, you know, um, I actually, I actually sold that card and I got my, let's see, where's it? I got my first Drew Brees uh, shield uh, kind of game worn one of one shield right there um, with the money that, with some of the money that I got for that, that Luka Doncic downtown. So just similar to you, you got into something that fits more with what you're wanting to collect. And I think that makes it worth it. Lapper says the hunt is always more fun than the kill. And yeah, I mean, you know, and that, that's, that's a, a different, it's kind of different, but it's true. Like, you know, you chase a set for so long, you get that last card and now it's over. It's a big let. You, you know, it's really cool when you see it online or you see it in a showcase at a show for the first time, you work on that deal, you get it. Mm -hmm. And now what, you know, now you're done. So, but I mean, that's the, yeah, a lot to be said for loving the cards that you own and, uh, and, and having that chase and then being reminded of it by keeping those cards. I, I tend to keep that kind of stuff when I, when I get it done, but Sometimes I haven't, not, not every single time. Yeah. Well, well, and you know, as we're talking, one other example that came to mind is I remember coming back to the hobby. I knew when I was younger, Michael Jordan, I could never afford, you know, a signed card of him. And I was looking all around, just trying to find a, an autograph card. And I got one and he was in his North Carolina Jersey. And at the time I didn't really realize that like, that's probably not the most coveted card in the hobby, even though it is a signature, you know, you want the bulls Jersey and all that. And so I went to the national and um, walking around and um, actually somebody speaks to community, someone in our Peyton Manning group chat said, Hey, I saw this card. And I was like, well, where is it? And he goes, I really don't remember. And I'm, I'm like scouring the convention center trying to find this card. And luckily he kind of gave me a roundabout area where it was. And I was able to make a trade for that Jordan auto, which at the time when I bought it, I was like, I wanted Jordan auto. But then when I looked at it, I'm like, 
I don't really like, it's just, it's an okay card, right? You know, it's still Jordan Auto. It's just okay. But I was able to move that into this Peyton Manning one-of-one -one equipment patch from uh, 2011 National Treasures. Um, That's a nice card. And so that, and so that to me was well worth the trade, um, you know, kind of moving that from something that I thought I would love at the time, but when I had it, I didn't love it as much as I thought it would and moving that into something that I, I truly love and fits in my collection. And when that happens, we have to, and this might be obvious to many people, but I think to some it isn't, you have to give yourself permission to get out of that card yep. and just get, trade it away, sell it, whatever it takes to get something that you're going to like more. Uh, th that's okay. You're, you're allowed to move in and out of cards. So uh, Big John says, enjoying the live. Well, thank you, Big John, and good to see you here. Welcome to the show. Uh, with that, Drake, why don't we do this giveaway? If we have any wrestling fans in the room, we have a Ricky the Dragon Steamboat autographed 8x10. It comes with a Beckett Certificate of Authentication or Certificate of Authenticity. There's a little Beckett Authentication Services sticker right there to match the certificate, I, I, I assume is the case. And... Um, Let's do a giveaway for this right here. I'm going to be able to, we'll ship it out to whoever wins. What do you think, Drake? Should we give this thing away? I we think have. so. I like that. I like that. All right. So here's how we're going to do it, guys. There are 62 people in the room right now. Let's see 62 entries. Here's how you enter. You simply make a post in the comments here. Your post is going to be hashtag Hulk. H-U-L-K for Hulk Hogan, one of Drake's guys. Here you go, sharing it right there. Hashtag Hulk, put it into the comments and we will uh, pick a winner when I hit draw, right? So far we have zero entries. That's a very, very low number. <laughs> so in. No one's gonna win. We'll leave this open for you know a couple minutes as, uh, as you guys hear this and can actually type, all you have to do is type in what you see on your screen. Hashtag Hulk. We have a couple of entries now. I can see them starting starting to come in. Exactly two. We're up to four entries. Get them in, guys. And uh, and also, this is practice for you all because next Saturday on the episode of Sports Cards Live, the three-year anniversary episode, there's going to be lots of giveaways. There's going to be some really good stuff, like really good stuff. I, I one one item has been committed. I couldn't believe it. Um, it's a I'm not gonna say it yet. I'm gonna you gotta watch my Instagram guys this week. I'll I'll be showing what they are, but uh yeah, there's 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 gonna be some really cool. We got a Connor McDavid autograph card is gonna be given away, some boxes of product, which I'm actually gonna open and ship you, ship the winner the the, the contents. We want to open them. I'm not shipping a full unopened box, that's no fun <laughs> for me, and I want this to be fun for me too. Um, and uh we've got a we got a few other things coming so. This is practice. We have 13 entries, 14 entries, 60 people watching. That's a 25% uh, conversion rate so far. I'd like to see us get to 30 entries if we can, but uh, only going. if you want the item. If you don't want the item, then don't enter and let someone who wants it win, and I'll send it to somebody uh, who wants it. What do you think, Drake? What can you? What, what do you want to say about Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and an autographed 8x10? Oh, I think that's a great, a great piece right there. I mean, he's someone he, he does sign a lot, but I mean, you think back to his, uh, his matches he had with like, you know, Ric Flair and I mean, he was just great, great for his time. And he's one of those guys that when he got in the ring, you just knew that 
he's not maybe not going to have the most charisma and all that, but he's going to put on a phenomenal match um, that you could sit there, whether it's a 15 minute match, 30 minute match or whatever. And, you know, when he would come out with the fire and he would breathe the fire out. And I mean, it was just, it was cool for his time. And he's one of those guys, you know, he's, he's retired now, but, uh, but gosh, he, he could probably get in the ring and could probably still go at his age. I think he's like 70 years old right now. Um, but no, he was, uh, he was a great performer. Great, great performer. And just so you, so people know, it says best wishes, Ricky, the dragon steamboat hall of fame, 2009. So there's quite a bit of ink on there. You can't fit that much ink on a, on a sports card. Okay. Well, we've got 17 entries. I, once I hit draw, the option to enter is closed. I'm going to hit draw in three, two, one. And here we go, guys. The winner is Dexpo, just like he said. He called it. He, that's he amazing. Dexpo <laughs> says, I'm winning this, and he uh, does. Look he, at that. He spoke that's, it into existence. I love that. Way to go. Congratulate. Well, I, I feel like at least it's going to somebody who really will wants it and will enjoy it. That is awesome, Dexflow. I'm happy for you. And, uh, well, thank you for being here and entering it. He called his shot, no doubt about it. Matthew Person, he called his shot. Big John, he called his shot. Congrats from Lapper. Very nice. Congrats from Matt Person. Congrats from Rage. Uh, that was awesome. That's hilarious. I love it. Congrats. Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. Well, Dex Flow, you need to send me a shipping address. I got to take that. You're, I just realized what your avatar is, Dex Flow. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, congrats, though. And yeah, you need to send me your, your mailing address and we'll get that out to you. Just uh, DM me on Instagram or wherever, wherever you you. Can get a hold of me all right well drake listen we're three minutes shy of two hours so we're gonna wrap this up uh to the chat thanks everybody for joining and i'll give you a chance in a sec drake so final comments get them in if you'd like uh don't forget tomorrow 9 30 eastern josh madigan from hockey cards gong show is joining me and we are going to be covering the pwcc weekly hockey auction that is ending there's like 300 or so cards some really cool stuff looking forward to that as always and then again, next Saturday is the three-year anniversary episode of Sports Cards Live. Lots of guests coming through, lots of giveaways. So be sure to, you're going to want to hang out for that. I think, I hope, I'd love to have you all. Drake, final comments to you, my friend. Jeremy, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the engagement from the chat. I appreciate Leighton hopping on um, and just, you know, kind of providing his insight, which hopefully, you know, was helpful to people and all that kind of stuff. So um, you know, just, just as I said before, congratulations on three years. Um, you know, uh, just look forward to the show each week. I wish you all the best. And thanks again for having me on. Um, you know, and just to, to folks out there that have been been watching, feel free to reach out to me at any time. I'm Drake's PC on Instagram, Drake Magruder on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, certainly happy to help. Uh, would love to meet new hobby friends and collect the same thing. Or if you don't collect the same thing, you're just kind of learning your way. I'm certainly happy to help. Um, but, uh, yeah, had a great time tonight and, uh, thanks again, Jeremy and all the best. Yeah, man. No, it's, it's great having you, Drake. You, you said it earlier. You like to, you like to consume the collector driven content. You are a collector. I feel like we had a collector driven episode tonight. So thank you. And thank you for the kind words again. 
Uh, Matt Person, thank you so much. Aaron, thank you so much. Justin Vick makes me feel good about collecting. I love that. That's like the that that's 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 why we do this, Drake. That's why yeah. we do this. Mark Santucci, thank you so much. Yankees fan, good to see you. Thank you, Mookie. Good to see you. SCL better than SNL on Saturday night. We'll take it. We'll take it. Justin Vick, record SNL, watch Jeremy live. I love it. Thank you guys so much. All right, Drake, thank you again. And with that, everybody, as happens on Saturday nights, thank you, Jeremiah33. I see your comment there. It says, great show. Keep it up. We will do that for sure. As happens at this time of the night on Saturdays, guys, this episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.